1: Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show Podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show.
2: Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Later this hour, we'll talk with Peter Carlson. He's co-chair of the Oregon National Day of Prayer Committee. We'll tell you a bit about uh, where you can gather with others in prayer, or you can do that through a Zoom call online. The theme this year, Pray Fervently in Righteousness and Avail Much. It's based on James 5.16. That's coming up later this hour. Also, we'll hear from Brent Patrick McDougall, Prayer Power 40 Days of Learning to Pray Like George Mueller. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. Well, House Bill 2002 is up for a vote in this Oregon Senate tomorrow. This radical uh, legislation specifically targets minors for abortion. They're uh, looking to flood the inboxes of senators across the state uh, with regard to this bill. It passed earlier this week in the House. It seriously undermines the ability of parents to care for their children to the best of their abilities and removes any age limit on children receiving abortions with or without their parents' knowledge or consent. It also prohibits any information from being shared with the child's parent unless the child provides explicit written permission. Hmm. So you might want to take a moment to use the, uh, the resource that you have in communicating with members of the Oregon Senate. Also, Senate Republicans in Oregon didn't show up for a legislative session today calling the action a constitutional protest over what they say are violations of Senate rules. Well, the Democrats accused Republicans of walking out over opposition to two bills about to go before the Senate. One I mentioned a moment ago. The bills focus on abortion and gender affirming care and gun safety. I hate using the phrase gender affirming care because it doesn't affirm that you are male or female. It just affirms that you've decided One or the other or something in between. Only two Republicans showed up on the Senate floor Wednesday. Since there are only 17 Democrats in the Senate and 20 lawmakers are needed for a quorum, the walkout halted any work for the day. In a news release, Senate Republicans said they were walking out because Democrats were violating Senate rules and the Oregon state constitution by considering bills that weren't plainly worded. Republicans said after they pointed out the alleged violations, Senate President Rob Wagner ruled that the bills did comply with Senate rules. Republicans objected to Wagner's ruling. Laws are to be plainly written and easy to understand. Senate Republican leader Tim Knope said in a statement, when the majority of uh, bill summaries written demand a postgraduate degree to understand what the bills do, we uh, disenfranchise Oregonians across the state and violate the law in the process. Well, the rules Republicans claim Democrats were violating are Senate Rule 13025 or ORS 171.134 and Article 6, or rather, Article 4, Section 21 of the state constitution, which state that acts and joint resolutions must be plainly worded, avoiding as far as practicable the use of technical terms and that legislative digests and summaries should be able to pass a readability test, end quote. Well, Knope, um, went on to state that Senate Republicans were compelled to take the unprecedented step of voting to remove Wagner from his role as Senate president, and conduct a constitutional protest on Wednesday. Well, the statement also read that the Legislative Council must redraft the bill summaries, after which they would be sent back through the committees and then could be heard on the floor of the House and the Senate. Democrats in their own statement claim this is the fifth time since 2019 that Republicans have denied the Senate a floor session. And said the reason Republican lawmakers walked out was because they opposed two bills the Senate will vote on soon. Well, the people of Oregon aren't fools, Senate Majority Leader Katie Lieber said in a statement. It's no coincidence that Republicans are employing these embarrassing antics as the Senate is about to vote on bills that protect reproductive health, freedom and establish common sense gun safety laws, end quote. Well, one of the bills cited by Democrat leadership that faces Republican opposition is, as I mentioned a moment ago, House Bill 2002. It's a sweeping bill intended to protect abortion and gender-affirming health care for transgender people by boosting legal safeguards and expanding access and insurance coverage. Age is not an issue. The bill passed along party lines in the House on Monday night. The floor vote stretched for about six hours. Republicans sought to stall its passage. The other bill is House Bill 2005, a gun safety law which aims to crack down on so-called ghost guns, would raise the age to purchase certain firearms and would allow municipalities to make their own decisions on whether guns should be outlawed on public property. It passed the House on Tuesday. In 2022, Oregonians passed Measure 113. It was intended to stop legislators from using walkouts as a political tactic. The measure states that lawmakers can run for office again if they have 10 or more unexcused absences during their term. Walkouts have been used by both Democrats and Republican parties in the past. But in the past few years, with Democrats controlling both chambers of the uh, the state, Republican lawmakers have used the walkouts as a regular tactic to fight bills they oppose or tactics they oppose. It's a tactic that can stall work in the legislature because the state constitution requires each chamber to have a quorum present. 20 members in the Senate, 40 in the House. Because Democrats don't have a large enough majority to reach a quorum on their own, Republican walkouts stall government work. For good or for ill, today was one such day. Well, as Oregon struggles with one of the highest rates of homelessness in the nation, a longtime drug counselor says Portland is using a Band-Aid approach on the crisis. After a massive backlash, Oregon lawmakers canceled a public hearing on a bill that would allow homeless people to camp in public places and sue if told to leave. House Bill 3501, known as the Right to Rest Act, would have granted homeless individuals a reasonable expectation of privacy in any property belonging to the person, regardless of whether the property is located in a public space. The bill also would have allowed homeless individuals to sue for up to $1,000 if they were told to move. Well, House Bill 3501 had missed key deadlines and would not have been able to advance this legislative session anyway, according to House Majority Leader Julie Fahey. Thursday's now canceled hearing was a purely public uh, for purely public input, Fahey wrote in a statement, the fact that the bill is dead and can't become law hasn't been made clear in press reports, leading to an enormous amount of confusion and consternation among many, the Democrat wrote, adding that she does not support the policy in the bill. Well, the, the bill received more than 2000 written opposition statements on the legislature's website, along with a handful of statements in support, about 40 to be more precise. Fahey said the bill became a significant distraction from the representative's work, leading the Committee on Housing to cancel the hearing. I think that it's uh, it's getting to a point where we're literally going to have to reach this level of lunacy for people to wake up. Well, you introduced the bill. It's in the legislature. People take it seriously. Don't refer to it as lunacy if people express their concern. Well, Oregon's homeless population grew by. Uh, About 22.5 percent in 2020 and 2022, the crisis has become a focal point for Governor Tina Kotek, legislators and local officials. Homeless outreach worker Kevin Dahlgren told uh, Jesse Waters' primetime the bill was madness. Explain to me how this serves any meaningful purpose to end this humanitarian crisis. This is backwards thinking, he said, a longtime critic of what he calls Oregon's Band-Aid approach to homelessness. So the bill is essentially and apparently was dead. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to continue to march through some of the day's headlines. We'll also have a conversation with Peter Carlson, co-chair here in Oregon of the National Day of Prayer Committee, about this year's celebration, this year's commemoration, this day of prayer. That's coming up Thursday, the first Thursday in May. We'll be back.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next segment, a conversation about the National Day of Prayer. This year's theme comes out of James five sixteen. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Pray fervently in righteousness and avail much. We'll talk with uh, Peter Carlson in just a few moments. Wall Street investors will be focused on any additional clues about what comes next in the central bank's inflation fight. Meanwhile, the Federal Reserve on Wednesday raised its benchmark interest rate by a quarter point, uh, but opened the the door to a long-awaited pause in its most aggressive tightening campaign since the 1980s, the widely expected and Well, unanimous decision puts the key benchmark federal funds rate at a range of 5% to 5.25%, the highest since August of 2007 from near zero, a little more than a year ago. It marks the 10th consecutive rate increase aimed at combating high inflation and slowing the economy. But for the first time in a year, policymakers signal that future rate increases are not a given, suggesting that additional policy moves will hinge on incoming information. In determining the extent to which additional policy firming may be appropriate to return inflation to 2 percent over time, the committee will take into account the cumulative tightening of monetary policy, the lags with which monetary policy affects economic activity and inflation and economic and financial developments, the Fed said in its post-meeting statement. The statement omitted a previous sentence that said the committee anticipates that some additional policy firming uh, May be appropriate for inflation to return to the Fed's 2% goal, but offered little clarity beyond that. The Metropolitan Nashville Police Department announced on Wednesday it is delaying the release of the manifesto of Covenant School shooter Audrey Elizabeth Hale because of pending litigation. In a tweet, police said that they have been advised by counsel to hold. In abeyance, the release of records related to the shooting at the Covenant Christian School pending orders or direction of the court. Earlier this week, the Tennessee Firearms Association and former Hamilton County Sheriff James Hammond filed a lawsuit demanding release of Hale's journals. Well, that lawsuit reportedly requested a court to force police to release Hale's journals, writings and other uh, Records linked to the March 27th mass shooting in which six were killed, including three nine-year-old children. Last week, Nashville police confirmed that they would release the manifesto recovered from the car of Hale a 28-year-old transgender former student. The investigation has progressed to the point where the Covenant shooter's writings are now being reviewed for public release, the Metro Nashville Police Department said. At that time, this process is currently underway. Hale slept with journals on other school shootings under her bed in the, her parents' home. Police seized the journals and a trove of documents and electronic devices, court filings revealed. Among them were hand-drawn maps of the school. Hale also left behind a suicide note on a desk under one of several laptops police recovered near a list of passwords in the bedroom. Police also found two memoirs, notes on firearms training, a 12 gauge Mossberg 590 and a 20 gauge Winchester Model 1200. The barrel of one of the guns had been sawed off, police said previously. Court records suggest that Hale had no criminal history in Metro Nashville or Davidson County. Metro Nashville Police Chief John Drake said investigators had not immediately determined a motive, but that they believed Hale, a former student, had specifically targeted the Christian school and its affiliated church. The child victims included the pastor's daughter, Haley Scruggs, uh, Elevent, um, rather Evelyn Dykehouse, and William Kenny. Police identified the adults as head school um, head of school Catherine Kuntz, 60; Cynthia Peake, 61; and Mike Hill, also 61. The motive for Hale's actions has not been established and remains under investigation by the Homicide Unit in consultation with the FBI's Behavioral Analysis Unit. It is known that Hale considered the actions of other mass murderers. The Nashville police said in early April, the investigation shows that Hale fired a total of 152 rounds um, from the time she shot her way into the school until she uh, was killed by police. Two officers fired at her. The U.S. Navy invited an active duty drag queen to be a digital ambassador as part of a recent drive to attract the most talented and diverse workforce and combat plunging recruitment. Well, Yeoman Second Class Joshua Kelly, who identifies as non-binary, was appointed as the first of five Navy digital ambassadors in a pilot program that ran from October to March. Kelly, whose stage name is Harpy Daniels, has shared this journey on TikTok and Instagram, where they described how um well he described how he began performing on board and became an advocate for people who were oppressed for years uh, in service from joining in 2016 and being able to share my drag experience on my off time with my fellow sailors has been a blessing. Kelly wrote U.S. Navy sailor and drag queen Joshua Kelly. Well, the digital ambassador program that Kelly took part in ran from October to March was designed to explore the digital environment. To reach a wide range of potential candidates as the Navy battles the most challenging recruiting environment it has faced since the start of the all volunteer force. The service branch is evaluating what form of program, which um, included five active duty personnel, will take in the future. The Navy did not compensate YN2 Kelly or any others for being Navy digital uh, ambassadors, the spokesperson said. Kelly was, uh, has told. Carl Herzog of the USS Constitution Museum that they began dressing in drag and performing in shows long before joining the Navy. Why that would be a relevant or useful tool for the Navy, given the challenges they face, is a bit of a mystery to me. But there you have it. A suspected gunman remains on the loose in Atlanta after an active shooter situation inside a building left at least one person dead and four others injured. Authorities said today the shooting occurred around noon outside a building in West Peachtree Street between 12th and 13th Streets. And the Atlanta Police Department said, in fact, I am looking up the more current information here. Um, the uh, police said that they are aware multiple people were injured and later updated that to at least four people rushed to a hospital for treatment while the fifth was pronounced dead at the scene. Um, He, the shooter first entered the, uh, the service in uh, July of night of 2019, worked his way up to an electronic mate. Let's see. This doesn't seem to be what I was looking for. Um, there have been no additional shots fired since the initial incident unfolded. According to the department, multiple police and emergency vehicles were on the scene searching for the suspect. They identified the 24 year old shooter advising the public to call 911 and not to approach him. If he was seen, uh, he does not know uh, why the shooting took place, why he shot women. But when asked whether his mother was injured, the chief said that she was not uh, the suspect carjacked a vehicle and, and, uh, Before fleeing the scene, according to police, Uh, there has been no additional shots fired. Multiple police and emergency vehicles are continuing to search for him. Anyone in the area is asked to remain secure until he is located. Federal prosecutors are reportedly close to deciding whether to charge President Biden's son Hunter in a four year investigation involving tax and gun related violations. Four years. Sources close to the matter told The Washington Post that U.S. attorney David Weiss is near a decision in the case, but the uh, exact timetable remains unclear. The report comes after attorneys for the first son met with officials from the Department of Justice last week. Several of the younger Biden's attorneys were present at the Department of Justice headquarters with tax division career attorneys, including longtime attorney Chris Clark. A whistleblower is alleged alleging rather that the FBI and the Justice Department are in possession of a document that describes a criminal scheme involving Uh, then-Vice President Joe Biden and a foreign national relating to the exchange of money for policy decisions. House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer and Senator Chuck Grassley said earlier today... Comer, a Republican from Kentucky and Grassley from uh, Iowa, said the whistleblower claims the document includes a precise description of how the alleged criminal scheme was employed, as well as its purpose. The document, an FBI-generated FD-1023 form, allegedly details an arrangement involving an exchange of money for policy decisions. Comer issued a subpoena Wednesday following legally protected disclosures to Grassley's office. We believe the FBI possesses an unclassified internal document that includes very serious and detailed allegations implicating the current president of the United States, Grassley said. What we don't know is what, if anything, the FBI has done to verify these claims or investigate further. The FBI's recent history of botching politically charged investigations demands close congressional oversight, he went on to say. Comer added that the information raises concerns that then-Vice President Biden allegedly engaged in a bribery scheme with a foreign national. And we need to proceed with caution, I would suggest, given the fiasco we faced under the previous administration. Anheuser-Busch suffered a large decrease in sales and is now throwing money into additional Bud Light marketing. Now, just an aside here, I'm not a beer drinker. I don't really care. But it is part of the, well, the so-called culture war in its expression in the broader culture. Well, backlash over the Bud Light controversial partnership with the trans activist is continuing to take a toll on the brand. New sales numbers show that, well, they're not doing well for the week that ended April 22nd. Off-premise sales volume, which uh, is the uh, beer sold outside of restaurants and bars, fell by 26.1% from a year earlier. The week prior, uh, they were down 21.1%. For the year overall, sales were down 8%. Meanwhile, competitors uh, have seen an increase in sales. The figures include sales at grocery stores, convenience stores, and liquor stores. Retail consumer purchases are the cornerstone of the um, industry's model. This is where customers' loyalty is everything Bud Light betrayed customers, say observers. Now beer aisles look a bit different. Oklahoma has banned gender-affirming care surgeries. Republican Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt on Monday signed into law a bill banning sex changes, uh, surgeries, and cross-sex hormones in the state. Under Senate Bill 613, doctors could lose their license to operate and be guilty of a felony if they knowingly provide gender transition procedures to any child. The bill passed 73 to 18 in the House, 37 to 8 in the Senate. Parents can sue doctors on behalf of their children, and individuals who received sex changes as children can sue any time before their 45th birthday. At least 16 states have now enacted laws restricting or banning gender-affirming surgeries and drugs for minors. Federal judges have blocked the enforcement of laws in Alabama and Arkansas, and nearly two dozen states are considering bills to restrict or ban care this year on minors. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Up next, my conversation with Peter Carlson. He's the co-chair of the Oregon National Day of Prayer Committee. We'll tell you where you can join with others to pray, whether that's in person or online. Stay with us.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, as many of you know, tomorrow, the first Thursday in May, is the National Day of Prayer. The theme this year comes from James 5.16, that last line in the scripture: pray fervently in righteousness and avail much. Many of us know it as the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. It avails much. In any case, we have a co chair of the Oregon National Day of Prayer Committee that uh, has made it easy for us to participate in events across the state of Oregon. And I've in, uh, invited Peter Carlson to join us to talk a bit about that. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Georgine. Well, let's talk about the National Day of Prayer and why it's still important, or perhaps why it's more important now than ever.
3: It is because of the situation that our nation is in. This is a time where more than ever we need to take advantage of this uh, public law, national, federal law, to gather and to seek God.
2: There are, in addition to national events, there are events here in the state of Oregon. And folks can find out more at PrayOregon.org about Uh, tomorrow, as well as prayer opportunities throughout the the year. Talk a little bit about the effort here in Oregon to invite and encourage people to pray for our nation, for our state, for our uh, counties, our cities, our neighborhoods.
3: Yes, there are events throughout the state. We have dozens of events and opportunities near you, wherever people live, Mm -hmm. to participate. They can find out about where the events are and when by going to the national website and looking up an event for their area. The uh, search is by city, by state, so you can uh, find out what's happening all across the state by going to nationaldayofprayer.org and going to the events page.
2: There's another more unique event, I think, this year. I, I certainly wasn't aware of it in previous years. There's an online event where 10 communities are going to be praying continuously for 10 hours from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. through a Zoom call. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, it actually started because of the onset of the COVID epidemic. And we uh, went to virtual meetings that year, largely. So we thought, let's just get on Zoom all day. And so we've we've been doing it the last several years, and we have organized the state into nine regions in Pray Oregon. And Pray Oregon is cooperating with National Day of Prayer and sponsoring the National Day of Prayer events. So we have uh, people representing each of the nine regions in Pray Oregon and taking an hour each to pray, actually two hours for the Portland metro area from noon to two. And so we've got 10 hours from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. that people can join on our Zoom line as much or as they're able to. and just uh, participate with others from across the state. Uh, we may focus specifically on a region during a particular hour, but we'll also be praying for the state and nation each
2: hour. What a great opportunity to pray corporately, even if we're not able to uh, move from one location to another, we can come together in prayer by virtue of this technology uh, to pray for the entire state. And as you mentioned, uh, there are uh, nine regions uh, divided up in Uh, Folks will be praying uh, at at, uh, specific times for those regions. Eugene Springfield, Redmond, North Central Oregon, Southwest Oregon, Salem, Lakeview, Klamath Falls, Portland, Oregon City, Baker City, Hermiston and Northeast Oregon, Ontario and Southeast Oregon, Tillamook. And the North Coast, um, a great opportunity. There are also a couple of live events, one at uh, Pioneer Courthouse Square and at the Oregon State Capitol. Tell us a bit about them, when they are, where they'll be located, and who can uh, who can participate.
3: Yeah, we're excited about the event at Pioneer Square. Uh, we haven't had one there in recent years. So from noon to 2, people will be gathering there and uh, covering the metro area in particular, but again, our state and nation as well. So that would be uh, wonderful for people in the Portland area to join in that noon to two. And then in the evening, we have our Capitol event. So we are part of the National Day of Prayer task force, which organizes National Day of Prayer events across the country. We have state coordinators in all the states and those state coordinators are responsible to have at least one event at the Capitol Uh, So ours is 7 to 8.30 p.m. as we have had the last several years. And we will be located at the west end of the Capitol in Wilson Park near the gazebo uh, within sight of the war memorial that uh, many people are familiar with. Mm -hmm. So uh, just love to have people come out and join us Thursday evening
2: for that. As I mentioned, the theme this year, which is carefully chosen, comes from James, the fifth chapter, verse 16. Pray fervently in righteousness and avail much. I think a lot of people are discouraged and may... Uh, feel like their prayers are of little use when they watch the direction that our state is going, the direction our nation is going. Can you offer some words of encouragement for those who don't recognize the tremendous value there is in prayer and the invitation that we receive from the God of the universe to come boldly before his throne of grace to take advantage of this opportunity to pray together?
3: Well, it is a tremendous opportunity. And, of course, we have that opportunity at home and In our communities throughout the year and in fact uh, national day of prayer sponsors prayer daily and we call that national daily prayer but this one time a year is set aside by federal law for us to join together and so we encourage public gatherings at courthouses parks and other places where we can gather and call out to the lord if we do he has promised us that he will hear us and If we don't, then by default, the void is filled with those that are contrary to God. So we we need to take advantage of this opportunity and call on the Lord who wants to bless us if we will simply turn to him. And Mm -hmm. so we need to bow before him together, unite together. Scripture says our unity will be an effective witness. And so that's why we're encouraging united public prayer.
2: Well, it really is a privilege to have the freedom to do that for as long as we do, And to uh, take up the invitation that the Lord extends to us with expectation, because his word, regardless of what's happening in the legislature or the city council or the county council, what's happening in Washington, the Lord says he will hear us when we pray. And uh, that's an invitation I think we need to take very seriously and have great um, anticipation to see what God will do. Among Us once again there's going to be an opportunity to pray corporately at Pioneer Courthouse Square in Portland from noon to two o'clock tomorrow, the National Day of Prayer, as well as the Oregon State Capitol in Salem from seven PM to eight thirty P.M. at the west end of the Capitol in Wilson Park. And then online uh, there's an opportunity to pray along with others who will be praying for ten hours throughout the day for the state of Oregon. And I'm certain there are probably similar events in the state of Washington as well. It will begin at 7 a.m. and run through 5 p.m. And the best place to to get information about that, is that the National Day of Prayer website or Pray Oregon?
3: Either one will work. Uh, The Pray Oregon website has our schedule for the 10 hours of Zoom prayer. And um, it also has a link to the national website where you can look up events in every community across the state and nation.
2: Now, this is a a great opportunity to pray for our nation on the National Day of Prayer along with others. But I think think many of us recognize that we need to be in prayer for our nation, for our communities uh, long term. Can you tell us a little bit about Pray Oregon and that effort to saturate um, the state of Oregon in prayer and to take God up on his invitation to come before him on behalf of our nation?
3: Certainly. We believe that because we have cities that are incorporated with governments that those governments need to be prayed for. We have 241 incorporated cities in Oregon, and our goal is to have a national day of prayer event for each of those government entities, each of our cities. So we're encouraging that. And as we find volunteers who are ready to do an event, they can register at the national website, we'll give them instructions, encouragement, help guidance, um, give them resources such as the proclamation from the president and the governor that will assist them in creating an event that will be meaningful and targeted. So we would, we encourage people, if you feel like the Lord is, is prompting you to get involved in any measure, uh, at least uh, gather with others that are praying by finding an event near you. And if you feel uh, a prompting to help organize an event where there isn't one, we'd love to talk to you. So we'll, we'll get in touch through the national website or the Pray Oregon website, either one.
2: Well, Peter Carlson, thank you so much for your leadership and helping to coordinate um, believers who are committed to praying on this National Day of Prayer. Uh, once again, it's a delight to have had you. Thank you.
3: Thank you so much. On behalf of Pam Neighbor from Buxton, Oregon, and myself in Corrales, Oregon, we appreciate everyone's participation.
2: Thank you. Bye bye. Again, the National Day of Prayer coming up on Thursday. Always the first Thursday in May. Up next, uh, some more headlines. So stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, an interview with uh, Brent Patrick McDougal. Prayer power. Forty days of learning to pray like George Mueller. Well, President Biden is sending 1,500 troops to assist with the southern border crisis. Is that the right word to use? Crisis? President Biden is dispatching the 1,500 soldiers uh, to stem the surge of immigrants that are expected to follow. Uh, rather, um, yeah, follow next Thursday's expiration of Title 42, the pandemic era public health measure that allows Border Patrol to immediately expel those Attempting to enter the country illegally. The active duty army units will assist the border patrol. They'll be armed, though they will only be permitted to use their weapons in self-defense. It's a 90 day deployment. It will find soldiers assuming administrative transportation and monitoring roles in an effort to free up border patrol personnel to do what they do. Flashback to 2018 when Kamala Harris called deploying troops to the border inappropriate political and a demonstration for TV cameras. I wonder how she'll. Uh, characterize it this time around. New York City Mayor Adams is blaming the immigration crisis on President Biden. Every new morning brings a new person for Mayor Adams to blame rather than fixing New York City's sanctuary status. The Washington Examiner reports that the mayor laid blame on the Biden administration for the immigrant uh, crisis, saying that the White House's response to the border has been irresponsible. Adams' uh, comment, uh, which were made at a press conference on Tuesday, Echo One made, Uh, ones made previously as the New York City struggles to deal with an influx of immigrants. His latest criticisms were made after he was asked if he his rhetoric could inflame an uh, anti-immigrant sentiment in the city. Since taking office, Joe Biden has released more than two million southwest border migrants. That's a population of uh, individuals larger than 14 U.S. states and a figure that doesn't include nearly a million other gotaways, aliens who have entered illegally and evaded overwhelmed Border Patrol agents since the start of fiscal year 2022. The Dow Jones tumbled 350 points amid an uncertain Fed decision, which was made earlier today, and the debt ceiling stall, which is still uncertain. The Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped more than 350 points Tuesday. Traders spurned risk and sought safety in government bonds, worried that the Federal Reserve's interest rate decision... Uh, would arrive at a precarious moment for the economy. The pain spread across economically sensitive markets, walloping regional banks, stocks, oil prices and low-quality bonds, Treasury debt and gold, traditional safe havens amid market stress. Weighing on uh, sentiment Tuesday was word from the U.S. Treasury that the country may hit the debt ceiling sooner than expected. President Biden's energy leader doesn't acknowledge the administration's policies make the U.S. more reliant on China for rare minerals. Missouri Republican Senator Josh Hawley pressed Interior Secretary Deb Holland on a leaked memo from the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management on Tuesday that shows the Biden administration prioritized climate change over energy security in March, internal records from the department of the interior revealed the administration is sacrificing proactive resource development with higher royalties on leases to promote a left-wing climate agenda. After outlining China's dominance in refining uh, critical minerals, the Missouri Senator charged the uh, preeminent federal land agency of choking off domestic development of American natural resources. The uh, interior secretary Tells Senator Hawley she is unaware China controls the critical minerals needed for electric vehicles. That's shocking to me. If I know and I'm nobody, how is it that she doesn't? The president of uh, Thomas Jefferson University is in the hot seat for liking tweets questioning the COVID vaccine and saying gender surgery is child mutilation. We are now being canceled for simply liking a social media post. Keep that in mind next time you Get ready to like something. Thomas Jefferson University President Mark Tychinski is under fire after liking a number of tweets from writer Alex Berenson questioning the COVID-19 vaccines and calling child sex changes child mutilation. The chief executive officer of Thomas Jefferson University, Joseph Kakishon, or something very like that, issued an email to Jefferson faculty, employees and students on Sunday saying that the uh, president was careless in his use of Twitter and that he should have known better. Attached to the email was an apology letter from uh, the uh, college president, which said that he had unintentionally offended many through his use of social media. Please be assured this will be a learning experience, and I will grow as a person and professional from my misstep. The industry surrounding transgender surgeries is expected to become a $5 billion market by the end of the decade. Hmm. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy warns that loneliness could be as bad as smoking 12 cigarettes daily. Loneliness presents a profound public health threat akin to smoking and obesity. That's a quote from the U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy warning in an advisory issue uh, issued on Tuesday that aims to rally Americans to spend more time with each other in an increasingly divided and digital society. Murthy said half of U.S. adults experience loneliness, which has consequences for mental and physical health, including a greater risk of depression, anxiety, and perhaps, more surprisingly, heart disease, stroke, and dementia. Well, the Surgeon General said, today I release a Surgeon General's advisory on the epidemic of loneliness and isolation facing our country, the destructive impacts it has on our collective health, and the extraordinary healing power of our relationships. Novik Jovic. Okay, I'm not sure that's right, has been cleared for U.S. travel after the vaccine mandate is lifted. Uh, The world number one men's tennis player is clear to make his return to the United States Open this year after being forced to miss the tournament last year. He couldn't play in the 2022 Australian Open or the U.S. Open because of vaccine regulations in the host countries. But he returned to win this year's Aussie Open and uh, will almost certainly be part of the U.S. Open field in the late August and early September tournament. Uh, Novak will be able to play at this year's U.S. Open after the United States announced it's lifting its vaccine mandate on international travelers. Tucker Carlson received a $100 million TV offer. Valuetainment Television made a $100 million contract offer to Tucker Carlson, recently of Fox News, on Tuesday to come on board the new... Media company. The deal includes ownership shares. Carlson is actually still under contract with Fox Corporation, and the offer would likely only match what he is uh, getting paid for, uh, getting paid by Fox. That said, Carlson is likely looking to jump into getting paid um, by a new media, even starting his own venture, given uh, giving him more control and no fear of future firings. In the meantime, expect other media companies like Newsmax to be making lucrative offers. Courts have given North Carolina and Florida election integrity wins. Republicans in North Carolina and Florida saw their efforts to protect the electoral process in their states supported by the courts. In North Carolina, the state Supreme Court, uh, which last year flipped from a Democrat majority to a Republican one, which shouldn't matter in the court, but that's an aside, overturned its prior ruling that had banned gerrymandering. Chief Justice Paul Newby wrote, In its decision today, the court returns to its tradition of honoring the constitutional roles assigned to each branch. Down in Florida, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals upheld the state's 2021 election law that improved security measures for mail-in ballots and ballot drop boxes. The decision overturns the ruling by the Obama-appointed federal district judge who justified his decision to block the law by alleging Florida had set up a political system that, for well over a century, has overrepresented white Floridians and underrepresented black and Latino Floridians. Well, the appeals court rejected the racist allegation, observing The findings of intentional racial discrimination rest on both legal errors and clearly erroneous findings of fact. People standing for the National Anthem horrified some progressives in a viral video. Evidently, any displays of patriotic fidelity are grounds for the ringing of alarm bells to some on the left. A recent viral video depicting roughly a dozen people standing with hands over their hearts during the playing of the National Anthem at a restaurant in Southern California sent a horde of uh, keyboard warriors running to their fainting couches. By far the most dangerous situation I've ever been in, wrote the woman who first posted the video to social media. The video generated about 17,000 comments, with many deriding the display. One commenter even called it dystopian. With attitudes like this, is it any wonder the U.S. military is finding recruitment so difficult? This is what results from promoting love of self over everything else. Russians have suffered 100,000 casualties since December. Now, keep in mind, many of these um, soldiers were recruited against their better judgment. The war in Ukraine is producing casualty numbers that have not been seen since World War II. And the ongoing battle for the eastern Ukrainian city of Bakhmut, Russia and Ukraine have endured a staggering attrition rate. According to the U.S. estimates, Russia has lost more than 100,000 soldiers since December, with roughly 20,000 of them killed. As National Security Council spokesman John Kirby expressed, it's really stunning, these numbers. To put things into perspective, in nearly two decades fighting in Iran, Iraq rather, the total number of American troops killed was about 4,500. Ukraine's casualty numbers aren't much better than Russia's, as both sides have dug in to contest Bakhmut in what some have... uh, are uh, comparing to the infamous Battle of Stalingrad. However, despite the uh, high casualty rate, morale reportedly remains high amongst the Ukrainian population. Women apparently have an advantage over men in sciences, math, engineering, and technology. In other words, STEM hiring. A recent study published in Psychological Science in the Public Interest concluded that women are advanced over men when it comes to hiring in the STEM fields. The research looked at data over the last 20 years and found that there are almost no evidence of bias against women in these uh, areas. Which competing uh, completely contradicts the popular narrative widely promoted by the mainstream media. If anything, to the extent that bias exists, it actually favors women. Of course, this data is unlikely to change the views of those invested in promulgating the woke narrative of evil patriarchy. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We need to take a break. Uh, we've got news and traffic coming here at the top of the hour, and then in the second hour, Brent Patrick McDougal, Prayer Power. Stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. You're listening
1: to the Georgine Rice Show podcast, is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Blend producing, Dave King engineering today's program. We're going to take a few minutes and look at some of the day's headlines and then a conversation with Brent Patrick McDougal, author of Prayer Power on this eve of the National Day of Prayer. I had a conversation in our last hour with Peter Carlson. He's a co-chair of the Oregon National Day of Prayer Committee. I'm going to rebroadcast that conversation later in this second hour as well to give you all the important details about where folks will be gathering for prayer and how you can uh, find a location near you or you can be a part of a zoom call that's covering the state of oregon in prayer for 10 hours on uh, on thursday the national day of prayer well the texas mass shooting suspect francisco oroposa is in custody after a four-day manhunt the man accused of fatally shooting five people, his neighbors, including a nine-year-old boy, was caught hiding underneath a laundry in a Texas home on Tuesday after a four-day manhunt. The alleged gunman, 38, was arrested in the city of Conroe around 6.30 p.m., just 75 minutes after a tip came that in that alerted law enforcement to the fugitives' whereabouts, according to authorities. The suspect, a Mexican national who reportedly been deported four times, was taken into custody without incident. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre erupted when pressed over claims that the president has lowered illegal immigration by 90%. The Department of Energy is set to award $200 million grant to a battery maker run by a Chinese talent program recruit. Hunter Biden has been ordered to reveal his art and investment income in the $750,000 child support case. In the last three years alone, the IRS has spent $10 million on weapons, ammunition and tactical gear. What could possibly go wrong? Senator Joe Manchin is keeping his 2024 decision close to the vest. While many speculate he will run for re-election in the Senate, the centrist Democrat is stirring rumors that he may opt for a run to, for the White House on a third-party ticket. ABC News admitted to editing remarks by Democratic presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. after the news outlet pressed him on his stance on vaccines. They didn't like it, so they edited Journalist Lindsay Davis gave a warning ahead of the interview, telling viewers that the Biden challenger peddled misinformation and disinformation about vaccines so that the, the listeners apparently wouldn't have to make that determination for themselves. RFK Jr. is one of the biggest voices pushing anti-vaccine rhetoric, regularly distributing misinformation and disinformation about vaccines, which scientific and medical experts overwhelmingly say are safe and effective based on rigorous scientific studies, she stated. During the contentious 14-minute interview, Davis grilled the candidate on not just his vaccine beliefs, but also his willingness to take on President Biden as the Democratic nominee, his criticism of government agencies and his appearances on conservative media shows, which apparently should not be done. Afterward, the journalist acknowledged they edited Kennedy's remarks on vaccines. Uh, We should note that during our conversation, Kennedy made false claims about the COVID-19 vaccine, she said. We've used our editorial judgment in not including extended portions of that exchange in our interview, Davis added. Well, ABC backed up their fact check by listing medical and advocacy organizations which disagree with Kennedy's statements on vaccines, but of course didn't mention any equally uh, valid who agree. Well, after Davis pressed him on His distrust of scientific authorities on vaccines, Kennedy argued science was always changing and that experts were divided on the issue. No, I don't trust authority. I need to see the details. He said, I need to see the science as his comments uh, were abruptly cut off in the interview. Americans fault the news media for dividing the nation and Nordstrom's is planning to, it's actually just Nordstrom. I always say Nordstrom's, but it's Nordstrom. They're planning to close both of their uh, San Francisco stores amid the Rampant crime there. Vermont has become the first state to open assisted suicide to out-of-staters, sort of uh, tourist suicide. A transgender Montana legislator lost a lawsuit against censure. A teenage boy allegedly killed nine in a school shooting in Serbia. Russia claims Putin has targeted, was targeted rather, in a failed drone attack on the Kremlin compound. On this day in history, 1802, Washington, D.C. is incorporated as a city. 1913, Clorox has its beginning as five entrepreneurs agree to set up a liquid bleach factory in Oakland, California. 1948, the Supreme Court in Shelley v. Kramer rules that covenants prohibiting the sale of real estate to African-Americans or members of other racial groups are legally unenforceable. Sadly, they don't say it was wrong, just unenforceable. 1952, the Kentucky Derby is televised nationally for the first time. 1978, spam email is born as Gary Thurk, a marketing executive from the Digital Equipment Corporation in Maynard, Massachusetts, transmits an unsolicited sales pitch for a new line of computers to 400 prospective customers at ARPANet, a precursor to the Internet. The stunt generated some business as well as many complaints. 1978, Sun Day, two words, takes place on a Wednesday as thousands of people extolling the virtues of solar energy hold events across the country. 1979, Conservative Party leader Margaret Thatcher is chosen to become Britain's first female prime minister as the Tories oust the incumbent Labour government in parliamentary elections. 1986, in NASA's first post-challenger launch, an unmanned Delta rocket loses power in its main engine shortly after liftoff, forcing safety officers to destroy it by remote control. 2007, British girl Madeleine McCann vanishes during a family vacation in Portugal nine days before her fourth birthday. Her disappearance remains unsolved. 2009, Mexican President Felipe Calderon he tells state television a nationwide shutdown and an aggressive informational campaign appears to have helped curtail an outbreak of swine flu in Mexico. 2018, a federal grand jury in Detroit indicts former Volkswagen CEO Martin Winkerhorn uh, let's see, Winterhorn, on charges stemming from the company's diesel emissions cheating scandal. Well, yesterday, May 2nd, marked the one-year anniversary of the most damaging event in the history of the United States Supreme Court. Surely you remember former Obama administration acting Solicitor General uh, Neil Katyal called it the equivalent of the Pentagon Papers leak. In uh, breaking the news, Politico gushed, actually assisting the leaker, no draft decision in the modern history of the court has been disclosed publicly while the case was still pending. Well, the Supreme Court uh, watchers, as SCOTUS uh, blog took a forward looking view, it's impossible to overstate the earthquake this will cause inside the court. In terms of the destruction of trust among the justices and staff, this leak is the gravest, most unforgivable sin, end quote the gravest, most unforgivable sin. We're talking, of course, about that unprecedented attack on our nation's third branch of government. We're talking about the leak of a draft of Justice Samuel Alito's opinion in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, a landmark uh, abortion case that wouldn't uh, be decided until late June. Well, the leaked draft, though, made clear what the court's decision would be, the glorious and long-overdue undoing of that half-century-old judicial abomination known as Roe versus Wade. A decision heralding a win for the babies, a decision that even the generally liberal Pope respected. Well, more important, the leak gave those on the left two months to stir up outrage in the hope of causing one or two swing justices to reconsider their decision. In this respect, the leaker failed. But in another respect, the leaker was widely successful, for it gave those on the left a two-month head start in organizing and mobilizing and stirring up the outrage necessary to get out the vote in November's midterm election, an election in which a widely predicted Republican wave ended by being little more than a middling mud puddle. While well, the leak, Justice Alito reflected to The Wall Street Journal's James Toronto created an atmosphere of suspicion and distrust. We worked through it. And last year we got our work done this year. I think we're trying to get back to normal operations as much as we can, but it was damaging. Yeah. You think it brought out the mob to the to terrorize the justices and their families at their suburban DC homes. This went on day after day after day with the attorney general, uh, Merrick Garland to his eternal disgrace, refusing to enforce the law and either, Send the rabble packing or arrest them. In fact, the leak made Alito and his fellow constitutional conservatives on the high court targets of assassination. One of his colleagues, Justice Brett Kavanaugh, came chillingly close to being murdered by a deranged young leftist. Well, as we noted uh, earlier, Chief Justice John Roberts immediately called the leak an egregious breach of trust. And he called upon the marshal of the court to find out who leaked the document to Politico. We were told that investigation conducted more than 120 interviews of nearly 100 employees, all of whom denied disclosing the draft opinion. And that pretty much is where things stand today, a year later. Well, happy anniversary. Let's hope the court can survive it. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, a conversation with Brett Patrick McDougal, prayer power. And we'll repeat my conversation with Peter Carlson, co-chair of the Oregon National Day of Prayer Committee, providing all the important details about events in the state tomorrow on the National Day of Prayer.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, in the new book, Prayer Power, 40 Days of Learning to Pray Like George Mueller, author and pastor Brent Patrick McDougall, he invites the reader to take a 40-day journey to do something very specific. Pray. We need to learn a particular and persistent kind of prayer, he writes. He wrote Prayer Power after uh, putting into practice the prayer method of 19th century pastor George Mueller, one of the great heroes of the Christian faith. Over a lifetime of ministry, he launched multiple orphanages that cared for more than 10,000 children, but not once did he ever ask for donations. Instead... He prayed as each need arose. Well, every chapter in the book features a teaching from scripture and a story from the life of Mueller. uh, As uh, Dr. Brent uh, leads the reader through each day's reflection, he offers instructions on how to pray on a deeper level. Uh, Prayer power, everyday people in the in the book, uh, people of faith can learn how to pray with the faith of George Mueller, expecting answers because our God is good. He's waiting to meet Uh, and our reward, and to reward those, rather, who seek him. Well, Dr. Brent Patrick McDougall is the senior pastor of the First Baptist Church of Knoxville, Tennessee. Each Sunday, he uh, speaks to about 3,000 people through in-person television and online worship. He received his B.A. in Religion and Political Science from Emory University and a Master of Divinity from Beeson Divinity School in Samford University. He also holds a Ph.D. in Political Science from the University of Alabama, a cross-discipline study, politics and religion well he is the author of the river of the soul and faith hope and politics he's written numerous guest blogs posts and articles including america's spiritual pandemic for christianity today a native of alabama he has a heart for bringing people together cultivating atmospheres of prayer and encouraging devotion among church members as well as throughout the community at large we are just so delighted to have you with us Uh, dr mcdougall thanks for joining us Thank you for having me today. You begin in the introduction of your book, Prayer Power. You write, Your greatest resource is not money, intellect, or popularity, or pedigree. Your greatest asset is not represented on your resume or in the roll call of your accomplishments. While all these are good, they're secondary to the central sacred resource available to you. You, of course, are referring to prayer. Why do we so grossly underestimate the resource we have at our hands, the invitation that we have from God himself to come before his throne of grace um, to meet with him.
4: It's so true that oftentimes we don't experience power in prayer. I've met people over the course of many years of ministry who say they just feel like they can't experience any breakthrough. They wonder if prayer is just for the super saints. They don't understand the teachings of the Bible about prayer. And because uh, just in that futility, they don't exercise their faith through prayer. They don't experience power. But I really wanted people to know that these promises that are present all throughout Scripture, these miraculous promises about what God can do through the power of prayer, are true not just for a few people, but for all believers who can learn how to pray. You know, the disciples, they asked Jesus, teach us to pray. And he did. Mm -hmm. We need to learn how to pray. And uh, as we learn how to pray, we too can experience that power through prayer.
2: Well, this may seem like a simplistic question, but I think it's one that many believers still ponder. What is the purpose of our prayer? Scripture says he knows what we need before we ask. And many of us conclude, well, if he already knows, what would be the point? What is the purpose uh, in prayer and God's invitation?
4: The primary purpose is not asking for what we need, although that is certainly something that is available to us. Uh, The purpose of prayer, I believe, is found in scriptures such as uh, Psalm 63, where David talks about this earnest, beautiful, passionate prayer just to be in the presence of God. Mm. He says, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there's no water, he cries out to the living God and he says, God, I just want to be with you. I want to be where you are, and I want you to be in me. And it's from that place of passion, I believe, that then we are able to ask for the things that we need. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's, he's teaching us about his presence and about his kingdom, and that's the place to start. It's not so much just a litany of what we would ask for, but instead to learn to pray in such a way that we really are experiencing communion, a daily communion with our Heavenly Father. If we can't learn to pray like that, it's unlikely that we're really going to learn a deep dependence Mm -hmm. and a trust such that we will be able to ask rightly for the things that we need.
2: I love the the use of the word communion. It's not a one way street where I simply express what's on my heart, walk away and and engage in other activities. But we are in relationship. We're in fellowship with God and uh, he speaks to us and we bear our hearts to him as well. Uh, Talk a little bit about George Mueller. You uh, mentioned in the subtitle 40 days of learning to pray like George Mueller. Now, this is a, a 19th century pastor that many of our listeners may be unfamiliar with.
4: Yes. Well, I learned about George Mueller by hearing these stories about answers to prayer. And Mueller was a pastor in the 19th century who mostly worked in Bristol, England. But his work was not only in the walls of the church as a pastor. He was out in the community and especially helping to care for orphans who were on the street. In fact, over the course of his ministry, Mueller opened four orphanages that allowed him to care for 10,000 children that were uh, destitute so he could provide for them food, shelter, uh, education, and also spiritual nourishment. So Mueller was known as having a heart for children, you know, and that's what the Bible says, you know, God is a father to the fatherless. He, he loves the little ones. He looks after the ones who have no father, and then he calls people to be fathers to those uh, who don't have a father. So that's what Mueller did. He was known for his care for orphans, but he was mostly known to be a person of great prayer. In fact, Mueller said that over the course of his lifetime, he experienced 50,000 answers to prayer. He never asked for a dime for the orphanages. Uh, He never um, asked for a donation from anyone regarding the buildings. If he had Um, if he had been in today's work, he would have raised about $170 million over the course of his ministry, and it all happened through prayer. He just asked the Lord for what he needed. Well, as I was learning about his life, I remember telling a story once about a time in which he was caring for the orphans, and they had no bread and no milk for breakfast. They were needing to get to their classes for school, and Unfortunately, they were going to have to go hungry. And so he called the children together. He called all the adults, and he said, let's all bow. And they prayed a prayer of thanks for what God was about to provide. Even though there was nothing on the table, they said, thank you, Lord, for what you're about to do. And it wasn't long before there was a knock at the door. The milk truck had broken down outside the orphanages, and the milk was going to spoil. Could they have use of it to give to the orphans so they had milk for the day? And then the baker sent word that he had overbaked for the day and had Mm -hmm. extra bread. Could he send it over to the orphanage to feed the children? Mueller saw so many things like that happen. And I believe his ability to give thanks before the prayer was answered was part of his secret. So I heard all these stories about his life, and I thought, you know, I'm tired of telling George Mueller stories. I want (laughs) to live George Mueller
3: stories. Mm -hmm.
4: (laughs) I want to experience power in prayer for myself, and so that was really a a beginning of a journey where I started to study his life and really the biblical principles that he lived by, and I began to experience breakthrough. I saw such amazing things happen immediately. As I put these things into practice. And so I wrote this book because I wanted the people to experience that very same power in prayer.
2: Hmm. We're going to take a break in a moment, but I do want to give you an opportunity to dispel what may be a misunderstanding about the nature of prayer. Uh, you're a, a pastor, uh, Pastor Mueller. He was a pastor. Uh, there are certain people for whom prayers Uh, are offered and answered, while the rest of us uh, aren't in the same position where we're heard and uh, receive a response in the same way that you do. I'm certain that there are some of our listeners who imagine they're in a separate category and that there is no principle uh, in Scripture that would apply to their prayers being answered in such extraordinary ways. Your thoughts on that, uh, Pastor McDougall?
4: Yes. Well, as we uh, consider the teachings of Scripture, I think it's important to remember that not every um, thing that is there is only applicable to pastors. So, for instance, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he was talking to them long before any of them became pastors or leaders in, in the church. And he taught them, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened." He was giving them these promises, not just for a few, but for everybody. And if Jesus is to to be believed, we can expect that he's going to swing by the door when we go before him. Uh, George Mueller said, Every believer, when they draw near to God, should have full confidence that God is listening and willing to answer prayer. And our difficulty seems to be that these promises are just too great. We think, well, that can't be what God means. We stagger at the promises through our unbelief, and therefore, Mueller says, we fail to secure the treasure that was purchased for us by Christ. What that means is that all of us have access to the throne of God, as amazing as that may seem. Mm -hmm. We all have access to the one Father. We can all go directly to God, and all the promises of Scripture are for everyone who comes by faith. So I just want to encourage those who are listening today— These promises are for you. You can experience great breakthrough in prayer. And don't let unbelief get in the way of your relationship with God. Go to him and see what God can do as you pray.
2: Amen. We're going to take a quick break. Again, we're talking with Dr. Brent Patrick McDougall. He's the author of Prayer Power, 40 Days of Learning to Pray Like George Mueller. We'll be back in just a few moments. Once again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Brent Patrick McDougall. He's senior pastor of the First Baptist Church of Knoxville, Tennessee. And we're talking about his book, Prayer Power 40 Days of Learning to Pray Like George Mueller. We were talking just before the break about this uh, this notion that we may misunderstand that God has extended this invitation to all of us. Another misunderstanding, and then we'll get to the, the book, uh, another misunderstanding might be that I can pray for virtually anything and expect that God will respond because of the promises that he has made. Are there parameters? Um, are we to pray according to God's will or according to my preference?
4: Such a great question. It's certainly important that we seek to pray in God's will and not to be asking in such a way that is not befitting what God wants for our lives. We can't expect God to give us something that's not good for us. And so one of the important principles that George Mueller put into practice was to seek to understand God's will and to pray accordingly. And he had a very specific way of going about that. So, One of the biggest things I learned from George Mueller's life is that the way that you live by faith impacts the power that you experience in prayer. So what happens is a lot of people are just going about their business. They're not really living for the will of God. They're not really changing their behavior. They're not really seeking God in all things. And then they go to God and they wonder, why am I not experiencing more answers to prayer? We've got to be living in such a way that is consistent with the promises that are given to us uh, about prayer.
2: Amen. Now the book is divided into six sections. Uh, Talk about the importance of these six topics and the order that they're in as a reader goes through the 40 days to learn to pray, uh, as did uh, George Mueller.
4: Yes. So the book is broken down into six sections. Uh, There are 40 chapters that are part of all those six sections. And so it's a 40 day kind of brief devotional each day that has a biblical principle, a story from George Mueller's life, typically an an anecdote from my own life or something else, and then sort of a takeaway point, uh, prayer principle is what I call it. So as people move through uh, those 40 days of devotion, they'll, they'll experience sort of six movements or six principles that George Mueller taught about how to live a life that experiences power in prayer. The first one is to abide in Christ. That comes from John chapter 15 in which he talks about abide in me and I will abide in you. So every day seeking to become happy in the Lord is our first principle. You know, getting our hearts right, just glad to be living for God today, to abide in him and to day by day, hour by hour, live in the presence of God, Mm -hmm. listening and looking to God for everything that you need. The second principle is complete dependence on God. So this is recognizing that you need God for your physical troubles, your financial troubles, your career challenges, your relationship issues. It's really a posture of bringing everything before the Lord in prayer. There's the foundation of abiding, but then there's the way that in all things you, you bring before your Heavenly Father your needs and concerns. Now, the third principle is to forsake sin. This is really important because oftentimes we have sin in our lives that blocks the way in which we experience the presence of God. And we might not think that there's a connection between forsaking sin and prayer, but Jesus said, if there's anything in your life that's causing you to sin, cut it out immediately. Don't abide it. Don't rationalize it. Don't put it off for another day. Get rid of it because it gets in the way of the way that you're experiencing God. The fourth principle is to exercise your faith. Now, this means that you are stepping in faith. Even if you don't see steps two, three, and four, you're taking that first step. You're listening to the Holy Spirit. You're willing to to move by faith and to trust that God is going to lead you with each new step. You're not waiting on God to put it all together or show you every single thing, but instead you're moving by faith. That's the fourth principle. The fifth principle is to learn to pray in the will of God, and so that means seeking the Lord through Scripture and in the power of the Spirit, emptying yourself of your own will, saying, not my will, God, but what you want. Mueller said that's 90% of the problem, is that we bring an agenda into our Mm -hmm. prayers rather than leaving the outcomes to the Lord. And then finally, sixth, it's to persevere in prayer. We give up way too soon. We don't pray through problems or the biggest things that we want to see in life. But Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. And actually, a better way to translate those phrases are keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. He taught us that we should always pray and never give up. So persevere in prayer and wait for the Lord to work out what you want to see happen.
2: What a, what a wonderful 40 days to focus on prayer and to learn how to get um, everything that God intends for us to learn about prayer, to engage in prayer, and to see him uh, respond in a way that demonstrates his faithfulness. What's needed to start this method of prayer? Where do we begin?
4: Sure. Well, certainly you need a, a regular pattern of Bible reading and also the practice of prayer So I'm always surprised by how few people Even people in churches You know that are in worship every week But they don't have a regular way Of of meeting with God So you need a, a way of reading the Bible and, and really reading the Bible in and of itself Don't rely on a devotional You know go to God's word That's where the power is So um, Jesus said To find a place uh, a, a secret sort of place That's just for you uh, he doesn't mean like a place that no one else knows about, but a quiet place that's away from everyone else and shut the door. And God, who is in secret, will meet you and reward you in secret. So you need a plan, you need a place, and then you just need um, a passion. You know, you need to be willing to be taught, willing to linger in the presence of God. Really, you could move through these 40 days of devotion and not necessarily cultivate any greater passion than what you already have, but instead to ask the Lord, God, would you give me a greater passion for you? Would you help me to long to be in your presence? Would you reveal yourself to me as I meet with you? Because, Lord, I just want to know you and I want to be with you. That's what I think required to really be transformed in prayer.
2: I appreciate you reminding us that even the desire to please him, the power to please him comes from him. So we can approach uh, an effort to uh, understand and practice prayer uh, in a more biblical way by asking him to give us that desire to help us along the way. So if we don't have to start out as passionate as we hope we will be when we've uh, gone through the 40 days. But that's a, a great thing to be reminded of. If I'm not there yet, God will bring me a- along. Right. Now, for those who, oh, who struggle with the time, uh, and that, I, I suppose that's a struggle we have in so many ways, but the time to, prayer, uh, to pray, uh, can we take a few minutes here, a few minutes there? What's the best approach? And what do you say to those who struggle with just finding sufficient time?
4: To those that would say they don't have enough time to pray or to read the Bible, I would say that you have 24 hours in the day, just like every other human being on the planet. (laughs) Has ever had. God has given you enough time to do what God wants you to do, to fulfill God's purpose. God has given you all the time that you need. And if you give your time to God, God will give you sufficient time to accomplish everything else. You know, Jesus said, seek the kingdom. I believe this means seek first in the morning. Um, when I wake up, I try to wake up in a posture of prayer and then to read the Bible as the first words that hit my mind. Because I know when things get busy, you know, all these other worries and information start to rush in. And so I want that first seeking of Him to be setting the pace for the day. I think it's a good pattern not everyone is is a morning person. Maybe other people might say it's at night, but I do believe that seeking Him first and uh, letting that be the standard for how the rest of the day goes is so important. You know, I, I heard one pastor say, "If I if I miss a, a morning of prayer, then uh, I notice it. If I if I miss a week of prayer, my wife notices. <laughs> if, I, if I miss." A month of prayer, my church notices it, you know, (laughs) we've got to be seeking Him. And so I would say, don't don't kick yourself if you haven't prayed as much as you would like to or that God wants you to. Just begin. Ask the Lord to help you to increase from a few minutes to five minutes or from five minutes to ten minutes. And what I've experienced is that the more that you taste the presence of the Lord, the more you see how good it is and you'll just want more of it. God can change your heart little by little. Yes,
2: yes. Once again, the book is titled Prayer Power, 40 Days of Learning to Pray Like George Mueller. And can you tell us, where can our listeners find a copy? The book is published by Whitaker House. Where can we find it?
4: Listeners can go on Amazon and search for Prayer Power and then my name, Brent McDougall. And people are able to to purchase it there. They can also go to Whitaker House, amazing publisher, and uh, can purchase it there online as well. There are um, lots of, uh, I think, opportunities for churches to not only to to see this happen among individuals, but also to see a whole church to kind of move through this as a 40-day journey. It can really be transformative. And so um, I would just encourage people to... Um, give it a try. And I love to hear from people that are reading this book. It has been such a joy to hear how people are being transformed in prayer, just as I've been transformed. It gives me such great hope for the church in America. So I I would love to hear from people.
2: Yes. Thank you so much for joining us today.
4: Thank you. It's been a joy.
2: God bless. Bye-bye. Again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, my guest, Dr. Brent Patrick McDougall, and his book, Prayer Power. We're going to take a, a quick break and we'll be back to wrap things up.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, as many of you know, tomorrow, the 1st Thursday in May is the National Day of Prayer. The theme this year comes from James 5:16, that last line in the scripture. Pray fervently in righteousness and avail much Many of us know it as the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. It avails much. In any case, we have a co-chair of the Oregon National Day of Prayer committee that uh, has made it easy for us to participate in events across the state of Oregon. And I've uh, invited Peter Carlson to join us to talk a bit about that. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Georgine. Well, let's talk about the National Day of Prayer and why it's still important or perhaps why it's more important now than ever.
3: It is because of the situation that our nation is in. This is a time where more than ever we need to take advantage of this uh, public law, national, federal law, to gather and to seek God.
2: There are, in addition to national events, there are events here in the state of Oregon. And folks can find out more at PrayOregon.org about uh, tomorrow as well as prayer opportunities throughout the, the year. Talk a little bit about the effort here in Oregon to invite and in, in encourage people to pray for our nation, for our state, for our uh, counties, our cities, our neighborhoods?
3: Yes, there are events throughout the state. We have dozens of events and opportunities near you, wherever people live, mm-hmm. to participate. They can find out about where the events are and when by going to the national website and looking up an event for their area. The uh, search is by city, by state, so you can. Uh, find out what's happening all across the state by going to nationaldayofprayer.org and going to the events page.
2: There's another more unique event, I think, this year. I, I certainly wasn't aware of it in previous years. There's an online event where 10 communities are going to be praying continuously for 10 hours from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. through a Zoom call. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, it actually started because of the onset of the COVID epidemic, and we uh, went to virtual meetings that year, largely, so we thought, let's just get on Zoom all day, and so we've we've been doing it the last several years, and we have organized the state into nine regions in Prairie, Oregon, and Prairie, Oregon is cooperating with National Day of Prayer and sponsoring the National Day of Prayer events, so we have uh, people representing each of the nine regions in Prairie, Oregon and taking an hour each to pray, actually two hours for the Portland metro area from noon to two. And so we've got 10 hours from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. that people can join on our Zoom line as much or as they're able to and just uh, participate with others from across the state. Uh, we may focus specifically on a region during a particular hour, but we'll also be praying for the state and nation each hour.
2: What a great opportunity to pray corporately, even if we're not able to uh, move from one location to another. We can come together in prayer by virtue of this technology uh, to pray for the entire state. And as you mentioned, uh, there are uh, nine regions uh, divided up and uh, folks will be praying uh, at at, uh, specific times for those regions. Eugene, Springfield, Redmond, North Central Oregon, Southwest Oregon, Salem, Lakeview, Klamath Falls, Portland. Oregon City, Baker City, Hermiston, and Northeast Oregon, Ontario, and Southeast Oregon, Tillamook, and the North Coast. Um, a great opportunity. There are also a couple of live events, one at Pioneer Courthouse Square and at the Oregon State Capitol. Tell us a bit about them, when they are, where they'll be located, and who can uh, who can participate.
3: Yeah, we're excited about the event at Pioneer Square. Uh, we haven't had one there in recent years, so From noon to 2, people will be gathering there and uh, covering the metro area in particular, but again, our state and nation as well. So that would be uh, wonderful for people in the Portland area to join in that noon to 2. And then in the evening, we have our capital event. So we are part of the National Day of Prayer Task Force, which organizes National Day of Prayer events across the country. We have state coordinators in all the states, and those state coordinators are responsible to have at least one event at the Capitol. Uh, so ours is 7 to 8.30 p.m., as we have had the last several years. And we will be located at the west end of the Capitol in Wilson Park near the gazebo uh, within sight of the War Memorial that uh, many people are familiar with. Mm-hmm. So i uh, just love to have people come out and join us Thursday evening for that.
2: As I mentioned, the theme this year, which is carefully chosen, comes from James, the fifth chapter, verse 16, pray fervently in righteousness and avail much. I think a lot of people are discouraged and may... Uh, feel like their prayers are of little use when they watch the direction that our state is going, the direction our nation is going. Can you offer some words of encouragement for those who don't recognize the tremendous value there is in prayer and the invitation that we receive from the God of the universe to come boldly before his throne of grace to take advantage of this opportunity to pray together?
3: Well, it is a tremendous opportunity. And of course, we have that opportunity at home and in our communities throughout the year, and in fact, uh, National Day of Prayer sponsors prayer daily, and we call that National Daily Prayer. But this one time a year is set aside by federal law for us to join together, and so we encourage public gatherings at courthouses, parks, and other places where we can gather and call out to the Lord. If we do, He has promised us that He will hear us. and. If we don't, then by default, the void is filled with those that are contrary to God. So we we need to take advantage of this opportunity and call on the Lord who wants to bless us if we will simply turn to Him. And Mm -hmm. so we need to bow before Him together, unite together. Scripture says our unity will be an effective witness. And so that's why we're encouraging United Public Prayer.
2: Well, it really is a privilege to have the freedom to do that for as long as we do And to uh, take up the invitation that the Lord extends to us with expectation, because his word, regardless of what's happening in the legislature or the city council or the county council, what's happening in Washington, the Lord says he will hear us when we pray. And uh, that's an invitation I think we need to take very seriously and have great um, anticipation to see what God will do. Among us once again, there's going to be an opportunity to pray corporately at Pioneer Courthouse Square in Portland from noon to two o'clock tomorrow, the National Day of Prayer, as well as the Oregon State Capitol in Salem from seven p m to eight thirty pm at the west end of the Capitol in Wilson Park and then online, uh, there's an opportunity to pray along with others who will be praying for ten hours throughout the day for the state of Oregon. And I'm certain there are probably similar events in the state of Washington as well. It will begin at 7 a.m. and run through 5 p.m. And the best place to to get information about that, is that the National Day of Prayer website or Pray Oregon?
3: Either one will work. Uh, The Pray Oregon website has our schedule for the 10 hours of Zoom prayer. And um, it also has a link to the national website where you can look up events in every community across the state and nation.
2: Now, this is a, a great opportunity to pray for our nation on the National Day of Prayer along with others. But I think, I think many of us recognize that we need to be in prayer for our nation, for our communities uh, long term. Can you tell us a little bit about Pray Oregon and that effort to saturate um, the state of Oregon in prayer and to take God up on his invitation to come before him on behalf of our nation?
3: Certainly. We believe that because we have cities that are Incorporated with governments that those governments need to be prayed for. We have 241 incorporated cities in Oregon and our goal is to have a National Day of Prayer event for each of those government entities, each of our cities. So we're encouraging that and as we find volunteers who are ready to do an event, they can register at the national website. We'll give them instructions, encouragement, help guidance, um, give them resources such as the proclamation from the president and the governor that will assist them in creating an event that will be meaningful and targeted. So we would, we encourage people, if you feel like the Lord is, is prompting you to get involved in any measure, uh, at least uh, gather with others that are praying by finding an event near you. And if you feel uh, a prompting to help organize an event where there isn't one, we'd love to talk to you. So we'll, we'll get in touch through the national website or the Pray Oregon website, either one.
2: Well, Peter Carlson, thank you so much for your leadership and helping to coordinate um, believers who are committed to praying on this National Day of Prayer. Uh, once again, it's a delight to have had you. Thank you.
3: Thank you so much. On behalf of Pam Neighbor from Buxton, Oregon, and myself in Corrales, Oregon, we appreciate everyone's participation.
2: Thank you. Bye bye. Again, the National Day of Prayer coming up on Thursday, always the first Thursday in May. I want to thank James Blind for producing, Dave King for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night.
1: Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook and join us live every weekday at four for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ